In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast sponsored by Endris and Hauser, a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation. Endris and Hauser, the people for process automation. And before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind you to listen to our entire directory of oil and gas global network podcasts, including oil and gas this week, oil and gas industry leaders, oil and gas onshore, oil and gas offshore, and our pitch podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in to this podcast where we focus on health, safety, and the environment. We hope everyone listening is staying healthy as most of us work from home. If you do get out, be safe. Don't be like the guy who went out and when he came home told his wife he had some good news and bad news. She said, give me the good news first. And he said, well, the airbag on your new car works real good, (laughs) which is why I always ask for the bad news first. But actually, I'm trying to schedule a podcast on safe driving. But today we're focusing on a the fascinating subject of lightning. And my guest is Dave McIntosh, National Sales Manager for National Lightning Protection Corporation. Uh, Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This podcast is international in scope. We have people all over the place. Uh, where, Where are you recording from right now? Well, National Lightning Protection, or NLP, is based in Denver, Colorado. We've been in business for over 30 years, and all we do is lightning protection. We can help you out with any kind of projects anywhere in the country, and we even can do some international projects. But we primarily stick to the Texas, West Texas, Northern Colorado, North Dakota, Oklahoma oil and gas sites. Okay, because your your website says you've been, if you've been 30 years, you need to update your website because it says 25 years. 25, okay, I'll let them know. (laughs) (laughs) So it says NLP has been providing lightning protection grounding and surge protection equipment for commercial, industrial, government, and military applications. But you have a strong E&P presence. Is that correct? Well, we actually do not manufacture. We're actually a manufacturer of the lightning protection. The one component that we don't make is actually the surge protection. We do have a company that we work with that provide a lot of the surge protection upon what the electrical engineers on the project are requesting. So we can provide what they need because every site's going to be, you know, different needs and different capabilities. So we can provide a good contact and a resource for search protection. Everything else we manufacture in-house. And you do that in Denver? Correct. You must, you must have quite an operation there. It's pretty good size here. We've been at this location here about eight years. We were closer into downtown Denver uh, prior to that. And, you know, too many, too many condos wanted to get built around us. So they priced us out of that neighborhood. So we had to move out just east of downtown Denver to an area, to a city called Aurora, Colorado, but it's still Denver Metro. Well, I assume most folks all over the world realize that you're actually in one of the prettier parts of the United States. There's no question about that with the Colorado Rockies. Yep. So what's the temperature there right now? Oh, we're in the high 90s. We're having a little bit of a drought, a lot of forest fires, but uh, hopefully uh, they'll get those under control here soon. It's been smoky around Denver, but you know, tis the season around here, but it is very beautiful. You can still drive up even at this time of year. You can still drive up just an hour from Denver and 
still have a snowball fight and go sledding down some hills. That's that's unbelievable. And even though it gets actually the 90s, that's a little hot for Denver right now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We're we're typically you know high 80s, low 90s this time of year. But fortunately, you know, humidity is always low here. Yeah, and then it gets nice and cool at night. Yep, yep. Drops down about 30 degrees. Well, let's talk about lightning. As I said, I think that's a fascinating subject. I almost hate to ask this question. I mean, we just, we've been in a drought here in the Houston area, but we had a nice little thunderstorm a couple of nights ago and got almost two inches of rain, and we had lots of lightning. So we see it all the time, but I don't think we really think about or most of us realize exactly what it is. So lightning is essentially static electricity. It's the same basic current that you see when you walk across the carpet, you build up a static charge and you touch a a doorknob and you see that little static discharge. Same concept up in the cloud base, but it can be amplified, you know, millions of volts potentially. So that's essentially what lightning is. The static that builds up in the storm system is basically the wind that's moving the rain particles in the cloud starts to create static electricity. And that static electricity ultimately builds up a charge and you you'll have both positive and negative charges build in the cloud base, but you'll get such a concentration of that charge that it will generally strike from cloud to cloud internally first, but it will then start to build up enough of a charge that it will start to search and find a, a path to ground. And typically you'll have negative charge coming down from the bottom of the cloud base and a positive charge coming up off the ground. And a lot of people don't realize this, but lightning actually does start at the ground end of the cloud base pretty much at the same time. The whole process of a lightning strike can take place in just a couple microseconds, you know, blink of an eye, basically. And what will happen is you'll start to get a, a series of charge coming down from the cloud base, which is called a downward lead. And that starts to make its way down to ground, and it's being attracted towards the positive charge that's coming up off the ground. And that's what they call an upward lead. And a lot of people don't even realize that you actually have this charge coming up off the ground. This is a naturally occurring charge that builds in a storm system as it starts to approach your facility. And this is that charge that people talk about when they say the hair on top of their head starts to stand up, or if they've ever been on top of a tall mountain when a storm starts to approach, they actually can start hearing some crackling. And what that is, is that's that positive charge that starts to collect on the buildings and the trees around you. And this is, you know, a naturally occurring process. And so this is what takes place as you have an upper lead start to make its way up to that negative charge coming down to the cloud base. They make contact at some point above the ground. And then you see the main ionized channel that forms. And then you see the main flash that actually comes down. And that's the main charge that everyone sees. But they've captured it on film. National Geographic did a story on lightning upper leads several years ago. There's some great high-speed footage that's out there that talks about lightning upper leads. In fact, there's a local storm chaser in the West Texas area called Pecos Hank. And he actually put together one of the best lightning videos that you can find on YouTube. And he goes into great detail of how this works. And he's captured lots of this footage on film. So if you get a chance, check him out. He's got some great videos talking about in great detail. Okay, so what's his name again? Pecos Hank. He's just a local storm chaser in the West Texas area, the Pecos area. Then, like I said, he's put together two or three really good videos that he's captured during his storm chasing. I mean, he mostly goes after tornadoes, but from a visual reference, he's put together some good lightning stuff. And that just kind of gives you an idea of how lightning develops in that blink of an eye. Once that ionized channel forms, that's the main strike that comes down, and that's what carries most of the 
the energy that comes from that cloud base. So that's that's the basic concept behind how lightning works and lightning. You know, there's a lot of myths and misconceptions out there about lightning and how it functions and how how it develops and things like that. And that's that's one of the the biggest myth out there is lightning actually will travel upwards and downwards simultaneously. And it can hit in multiple locations or it can hit in the same spot multiple times. That's another myth that people think about lightning. So lightning can strike twice. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about the stories you hear about people who get hit by lightning and is a clear blue sky above them and the lightning has traveled several miles from another source? That is possible. They've actually been able to track uh, due to some modern technology that they have out there now. They've actually been able to determine that there has been lightning strikes over 200 miles away from the storm system. And a couple of those strikes have been recently here, just in the last couple of years. You might have seen those headlines in the news. But yes, lightning can travel typically anywhere between two to 10 miles from the cloud base. So that's why typically if you can hear lightning, you need to start going into any kind of safety protocols that you might have, you know, say at your oil and gas site, or if you happen to be at some kind of an outdoor venue, sporting event or something like that. Typically, if you can hear lightning, you're within, quote unquote, the danger zone. So you need to take precautions at that point. Go inside. You know, one of the myths out there is people need to, you know, go underneath a tree or something like that. That's actually one of the worst places to go to. So you need to get inside of an actual structure. And what about inside a vehicle? Vehicle will work too. Yes, because of the rubber. But it's once again, you're just kind of creating a path or a protection, you know, barrier around you for the most part. Most cars have a lot of plastic and metal in them, and that will conduct the charge around you. You still can potentially get hurt, but it's going to be mitigated quite a bit if you're inside of a vehicle. Basically, you just don't want to come in direct contact. There's stories out there of people saying that they've been hit by lightning. Typically, the people that get hit by lightning are shocked by the the charge when it hits the ground because lightning doesn't dissipate straight down the ground. It will spread out in all directions. So a lot of times there might be a strike nearby and that charge will actually travel underground a little bit and maybe shock them, you know, from underneath. And then also lightning, as you've seen in lots of still photos and things like that, you actually can get side flashes that come off of that main strike there. And so they, you know, a lot of times somebody gets hit with lightning, they might have been hit by one of what they call the side flashes. It's still very powerful and can still cause a lot of harm and and, and can still kill. But that is not going to be nearly as powerful as the actual main strike. Typically, people that get hit by an actual main strike that comes down from the cloud base, they typically don't survive. I think it was Lee Trevino who said the safest place to be was on the golf course with a two iron because they even God could hit a two iron. So, <laughs> But seriously, let's talk about how dangerous it is. You know, I've, I've been to a lot of pre-spud safety meetings and you've got kind of the, the usual checklist and everything. And I don't remember lightning being a prominent subject. Was was I just not paying attention? No, that's true. Unfortunately, lightning protection kind of falls into a gray area of the construction industry, not only just in the oil and gas industry, but in, in other construction forms as well. Because lightning protection is not required anywhere in the country for hospitals in Florida, unfortunately, lightning protection gets what they call valued engineering off of projects a lot of times. And so because it's not required on anything, it usually gets forgot about. It gets thrown off the project for budget reasons, and they kind of forget about it until it's too late. They you know, sometimes will take a strike, get some damage, and then all of a sudden that's when we get the phone call saying, hey, can you protect us? And our response is, we can protect you from the next strike. (laughs) 
But so yeah. you, you don't have standards or requirements for lightning protection? Correct. There is no national code. There is no national requirement for lightning protection, especially in the oil and gas industry. It is typically up to the engineers that are working on the project and ultimately also just the individual owners. That's interesting. I, I guess I hadn't really thought about that. I actually have a company. We clean up oil spills and, and produced water spills. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, a lot of times those are the result of tank batteries out in, you mentioned West Texas, for example. We did one out in West Texas where it struck the tank battery, caught the oil on fire. The little separate produced water tank that they had out there, it blew it about a hundred yards off the site. And I guess now that I I think about it, those things could be prevented, right? Correct. Yeah. There's actually a couple very important steps that you can take for the oil and gas industry when it comes to mitigating risk or potential risk for uh, lightning strikes at an oil and gas site. The number one thing is just fantastic grounding. You know, have every piece of equipment, potential path of ground, have that grounded into a good grounding grid. That is going to be your first line of defense for lightning protection. The trick is trying to protect everything in between the cloud and the ground itself. So that's where all your equipment comes into play, piping, racking systems, things like that. And so your next line of defense would be just really, really good surge protection, especially on your mission critical systems, any kind of pumps, any kind of tanks, you know, with that might have a flow valve you know, protection on there. You want to make sure that that has good heavy duty surge protection on that. So those two, you know, ideas of defense are most important on any type of project. The actual structural lightning protection that you do on an oil and gas site, the actual air terminals that they would call that on on your facility, that's actually the last thing you should be looking at. But it's also very, very important. You want to try and, and give that lightning specific locations on your site to actually strike So that way it then can be passed down to ground in a safe, controlled manner. You don't want that lightning just, you know, potentially hitting anywhere on your site because it can cause damage to equipment and God forbid somebody get hurt in the the process. You know, so that's that's why good grounding, good search protection first, structural lightning protection being the last thing you should be looking at. Okay, now you just used a term. You said air terminal. Yeah. So there's actually four main types of lightning protection that you see at oil and gas sites. You have, you know, kind of your standard little lightning air terminal, which is, you know, you've probably seen on some commercial buildings. You know, it's like typically 12, 15 inch tall little metal spike that goes around the perimeter of your building, goes on all your equipment there. That's, you know, in the in the industry, they've kind of kept the term Franklin system on that. And Benjamin Franklin came up with a great idea with the kite and key about 250 years ago, and the name kind of just stuck. So you have the Franklin Air Terminals, and then you have what they refer to as a dissipator. You'll see that oil and gas sites. Dissipators are basically a Franklin Air Terminal, just with a different type of uh, design at the top there. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to mitigate the collection of that charge that I was talking about earlier. And then you also have a, a catenary system, which is basically just a big wire that's strung over. A lot of times you'll see those at your tank sites, your tank batteries, and your substations. And that's basically just a wire strung between a couple tall poles. And the idea behind that is, is you just have the lightning hit that wire and hopefully it then doesn't pass on further onto the tanks. And then you have an active air terminal or an ESE type air terminal. And, you know, and that can be mounted at strategic locations throughout your site and at higher 
locations throughout there, kind of giving the lightning a very specific target to hit, kind of taking the guesswork out of lightning protection. So the differences between those is the the three types of systems, the, the Franklin air terminals, the dissipators, and the Franklin, those are all passive systems. They're just pieces of metal. The ESE air terminal is an active air terminal. So you can use part of that energy in the storm system to actively assist with the development of an upper lead, giving lightning a very specific location to hit, to then pass down to ground. Okay. So you used another term there, ESE. Yeah. That refers to as a early streamer emission. And so once again, is you can, you can use, you know, in the last 250 years since Benjamin Franklin, you know, used the kite and the key, there's been a lot more research done on lightning and we understand how it works and how it develops. And we've actually been able to determine how you can actually control it a little bit more. You can actually reduce the risk. And so there is an air terminal out there called the Prevectron that we, that we use. And it basically uses some technology that's built in there. And we can, you know, help kind of control where that lightning strikes on your sites. Okay, so your proprietary system is called Prevectron. Correct. That's P-R-E-V-E-C-T-R-O-N. Correct. And there's a lot of information, I think, on your website. I also was looking on your Facebook page. I think you've got a, a link to it on your Facebook page as well, if I recall. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's just one of the types of equipment that we use for oil and gas sites. And we also use that for other types of commercial buildings. And then do you have, do you have other systems besides that? Or? For commercial buildings, we'll also, we're a manufacturer of the Franklin style system as well for commercial. But for the oil and gas, we specifically use the Prevectron because it, it's going to have different capabilities that you can get. And once again, you know, you've got oil and gas sites that are very large and these tank batteries. And so you know, we, we need to be able to cover more than just a single tank or a single stack or something like that. So that's where that comes. From. Okay. Well, we'll put in the show notes, the link to the website, uh, also your your own LinkedIn URL. Also, I think you're on Facebook as well. Correct. Okay. Well, how long have you been doing this, Dave? I've actually been with the company just under five years now. You know, I've been their national sales guy and, and, and go around and I Primarily talk to, you know, engineers and architects for different types of buildings and structures, stadiums and, you know, other types of apartment complexes around the country. But the oil and gas industry is something that we're heavily involved with. And, we, and we've and we done several projects in West Texas and Northern Colorado and Oklahoma, Utah and places like that. So it's it's something where we can definitely help you out because a lot of a lot of the sites you see in West Texas, you know, they're they're designed and built relatively quickly. You know, especially when the price of uh, gas or the price of oil was a lot higher here not too long ago, they were putting those those drill sites in as fast as possible. And so, unfortunately, once again, you know, lightning protection is is not usually one of the first things that people think about. And so that's where we kind of get contacted and brought into projects, sometimes well into the design phase, because they realize, oh, wait a minute, West Texas, there's not a whole lot of tall structures out there, so they're they're kind of a big target out there. Yeah, exactly. So you said a lot of times you get people calling you and the and the reason they call you is is call you is because they've had a lightning strike. I'm sure you've seen some interesting situations. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely when you when you see a charge go down there and, and as you've probably seen with your company there, tank batteries blowing up and things like that. It's it's pretty significant when one of those strikes actually hits an area and you, and you can, you can sometimes tell, you know, even from a distance, if they had any kind of real protection, you know, your tank batteries are the most important stuff, you know, any kind of stacks and things like that, you know, those are always going to be your tallest, you know, structures on your sites there. 
And unless you're in you know a unique location where you've got taller trees and uh, other areas around you, you know, lightning protection is definitely something you should be thinking about because that lightning, you know, it, it's looking for a clean path to ground. And if you got a good oil and gas site with good grounding and good search protection, it, you know, it could hit your facility there and still find a good clean path to ground without causing any damage to your facility if things are, you know, bonded to and grounded properly. So do you send an engineering crew out there to do a site survey or how does that work? Well, we don't do anything. Well, I take that back. We have actually had some guys go out there and do some site surveys. A lot of times we heavily depend upon the local person on the ground. A lot a lot of times the project engineer or the project manager sends us as much information as they can on that project. And they and they talk to us and they tell us and they kind of just explain to us what they're doing and we're going to do a, you know, and, and we'll do a very detailed risk assessment so we can actually kind of give them an idea if lightning protection is recommended in their area. Because oil and gas has, you know, flammable fumes and things like that, lightning protection is always going to be probably recommended no matter where it's at in the country because of what it, it is. We'll do a risk assessment. We'll determine, you know, how much coverage they need on their sites. And then, of course, you know, we can talk to the, the project engineers and the people that are doing the designs and talk to them about what they really consider as mission critical so that way we can protect all that. All right. Okay, so that's National Lightning Protection Corporation. They can go to your website or they can contact you directly on LinkedIn. It sounds like it's something that we need from a safety point of view we need to be paying more attention to. Correct, more- yeah. I mean, I mean, on average, you got about... 27 people, unfortunately, lose their lives every year to, to lightning. On average, there's about $5 billion in damage and downtime that's caused from lightning. So it's definitely a concern, especially you know at your, your sites, your substations and things like that, mission critical facilities. It's definitely something you should be considering. You know, you mentioned about surge protectors. And of course, I heard you, uh, I think I heard you use the term heavy duty surge protectors. I'm, I'm sure the ones that you provide on these oil and gas sites, they're extremely heavy duty. Most of us think that we have surge protectors in our homes. How effective are those? They're good at protecting a, a TV monitor, but unfortunately, they probably wouldn't handle a, a main strike from a, a lightning strike. Typically, we'll look at our surge protections. We want it to be able to handle a 230 kA strike, which is pretty heavy duty. Your your average lightning strike will have between three to 10,000 KA. And, you know, we typically will recommend they have something that has about 250. So that way it can handle a a very heavy duty strike. Your strips underneath your desk, unfortunately, are (laughs) not quite designed to handle that, but unfortunately- They're better than nothing. They're better than nothing. And unfortunately, we have some people say that, oh, well, that's more than adequate. And we're like, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) That's what I thought. So, all right, Dave, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. People only you and I will know some of the technical difficulties uh, we had getting this getting this going. And even then, even over the past few minutes, I've uh, one of us has still got a little problem with our microphone because I hear it hear it cutting out every once in a while. But it hasn't been that bad. Anything else you want to add before we close this thing out? No, basically, thank you very much for letting me come on here. And you know, I I, I look forward to talking to any of your listeners. 
and letting them know that uh, we are available to help them out with any concerns or questions they might have on their particular facility. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Endress and Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Endress and Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. Discover more about Endress and Hauser at cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast. And you can register for the monthly podcast giveaway. We were talking about the weather a while ago. It's about to get cool in Colorado. I don't know. It may be cool where you are right now. But the Anderson Hauser and OGGN have a really nice jacket, and you can register for a free jacket at that site. Again, you don't have to remember all that. We'll put this in the show notes for you. Also, we'll put the links to Anderson Hauser on LinkedIn and also on Twitter. You can follow them at, on LinkedIn at Endress Hauser Group, and Twitter is at Endress underscore US. Please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about us, and we'll see you next time. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.